Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Video Store Nightmares, the podcast where we discuss the strange, the bizarre, and the cult films of the VHS era. Tonight, we are revisiting the work of Fred Olin Ray with 1988's Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. My name is Luke, and I'm joined by Leland. Listeners, you can find Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers uh, no, nowhere on streaming. It is nowhere. Yeah, it's unfortunate, and this is a pretty pricey tape too. But I, I know it's you can get it on Blu-ray, um, so it's not like uh, you all are being deprived. But yeah, we know Fred Olin Ray from Jacko. So, how did you feel about this in comparison to his earlier work or later work? <laughs> I was like, I know this name from somewhere. <laughs> it, are you just now putting it together? Yes. Yeah, he was the he was the producer, the sort of very involved producer on Jacko. Oh, that that makes so much more sense now. It um, should, yeah. I will say that this is better than Jacko, but just about anything is better than that pile of puke. So, <laughs> uh I, I still I still watch Jacko every Halloween. But this one is kind of uh it's kind of a spoof or an homage to like earlier film noir movies. Um, it has a like a Sam Spade, Mickey Spillane style voiceover, and the main character is a private eye who's investigating this missing persons case. Did you think it worked as as uh, homage? No, not really. Yeah, I don't really. It doesn't really work for me either. I get what they were going for. I don't know. I don't know if there would have been a better way to tell this story. There's not that much of a story here. When you look at just the individual story beats, I, I agree with you. There's, there's somehow maybe 20 minutes of plot that's spread out to like an hour and a half. Yeah, it's basically the story is that our main character, Jack Chandler, has been hired to find Linnea Quigley's character, Samantha, who has gone missing and ultimately he discovers that she is either part of or helping to pursue a cult of chainsaw worshipers led by Gunnar Hansen. That's your plot. So uh, the last time we saw Gunnar Hansen with this color hair, he was doing a cameo appearance in some film that we re that we reviewed uh, oh, probably like six seven months ago. Which one was that? I don't remember. I I don't remember covering a Gunnar Hansen film before. Nah. So there was a party scene with a bunch of um, astrologian Wiccan yuppies. So you're talking and, about uh, the Demon Lover, also known as it. Devil Master. Yes, that was that was the one. Yeah, I so, forgot that he had a cameo in that. That was the only reason to see it, right? His name was on the box. <laughs> I have a soft spot for that movie, too. But he actually has more than a two-minute cameo in this film. Yeah, I can't say he... Um, this isn't his best work. It, it sounded like he kind of just dialed it in. Yeah, it's very... It's a very monotone performance. 
he kind of sounds like he's waking up from a nap. Uh, yeah, like uh, office worker, like ten thirty a.m. before lunch. That's that's the energy he is showing throughout the entire film, even when he is getting chainsawed to death. And if you look at the history of cults, right, they're usually led by very charismatic people. That's one thing that all of these cult leaders seem to have in common is everyone attests to them being charismatic. It, Gunnar Hansen is not a very successful cult leader by that measure. No, but I could still see like a like a, a muted, like reserved kind of cult leader working for a religious institution. Like I could see it, but it is not actualized here as something that you can really put your faith into. Do you think he's supposed to be playing himself? Like because he was in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, he's oh, no, the person you're... to lead this cult? Yeah, you're probably right. Because he's not given another name. He's just called the master. And uh, in the credits, he's the stranger. I didn't even notice that. I never thought about it until now, which just goes to show that if that's what they were going for, they're not that successful. But anyway, let's talk about uh, Fred Olin Ray for just a moment. Um do we have to? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he started his career with like really low budget, schlocky monster movies, including The Alien Dead, which was filmed in Oviedo, which is very close to where Leland and I are from. The movie is terrible. Uh, let's not cover that. No, it is. It's It's unbearable to watch. But he started his career with really schlocky, cheap monster movies like The Brain Leeches and The Alien Dead, Scalps, Biohazard. But eventually he started making like softcore porn, like Skinamax late night stuff. He made some some made for sci-fi channel original movies, but um, somehow his career has evolved lately into making made for TV Christmas movies and Lifetime movies. How do you get through that job interview? I really don't. I, I don't understand how his career has evolved the way it has. Like you're sitting in front of a bunch of lifetime movie, you know, producers. And they're like, hey, what else have you done? Like um, softcore porn and very trashy monster films that are all about objectifying women. <laughs> and you got it. You're hired. <laughs> you have experience. So on this on this movie we're talking about tonight, Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers, I have a DVD and at the beginning of the movie he does like an introduction and it's him at home with his wife who is one of the cult members in this movie. Um and I can't remember if she's topless or she's close to topless, but uh, there's like four other topless women in the house and they're doing things like playing Twister and He's he's presenting that as his life. Like, that's the image he wants to project. It is very like Hugh Hefner, uh, frat boy sort. It, maybe that is the reality. Well, he says something like he has lifetime money. He said he says in the interview, um, I like to make the sort of films that I enjoy watching, which. Are basically this so i don't understand why he would go on to make uh 
Christmas movies. I just, <laughs> I guess, I guess he fell into that career somehow. He's got a family of four topless women to support. <laughs> True. You know, at some point you got to give up your morals. Suck it up. Just do the work. Get paid. I mean, his most recent film is Dognapped, Hound for the Holidays. I don't even, I'm not even going to look it up. <laughs> I'm sure it's unbearable. <laughs> So he's our he's our writer director, and then we, in our main uh, roles we have Linnea Quigley, who we already talked about briefly. We saw her in Jacko, um, but she's probably best known for Return of the Living Dead, and it also stars Michelle Bauer, who we saw she was the main character in uh, Cafe Flesh. She keeps coming back. Yeah, what else did we see her in? How dare you put me on the spot like that? I just know she's come up again. Yeah, I, I'm i genuinely curious. I just can't remember if we've done another movie with her. We have. Um, I'm, I'm just scrolling through. Um, oh, my God. She's still making movies up until like the two as of last year. Yeah. Well, I thought this was going to be a quick scroll through to find the film, but I guess not. No, she's in she's in tons of things. Oh, her and Linnea Quigley are probably like the low budget scream queens of the eighties. You know, they're in they're in a lot of Fred Olin Ray and like David Dakota's films, um, who is a very similar filmmaker, who also I think got into made for lifetime uh Christmas movies, oddly enough. Maybe we haven't done another film with her in it. I can't think of one. All right. Oh, I know I've seen her in other things. We just probably haven't we just haven't discussed them yet. The third, uh, the third cult member is played by Don Wildsmith, who is Fred Olin Ray's wife, or was at the time. But she was a pretty uh, prolific B movie actress too. Um, other than this, I think she's most famous, famous in quotes, uh, for "Surf Nazis Must Die." Haven't seen it. Know the title. But she played the uh, the sorceress in Jacko. Oh, it's all coming together. Yeah, it's coming back to you now. Yeah. I think my my mostly suppressed, I subconsciously suppressed most of Jacko and it's coming back right now. Well, while you're re while you're reliving those memories, let's play the trailer and then we'll talk about the story. When you work in Hollywood, you learn fast that there's just two kinds of girls in a town like this. The sweet, shy, innocent ones. You know, the ones you want to take home to mom. And then there are the other kind. The ones you just want to take home. Sometimes they like to play a little rough, but then these aren't your average girls. And this isn't your average movie. 
haven't figured out by now, there's something for everybody. Well, almost everybody. There's action, romance, and a cast of thousands. It's Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. These girls charge an arm and a leg. I think it's time somebody cut you down to size, Jack. Have you ever considered therapy? I'm going to enjoy splattering you. Hostile. Very hostile. What a great set. Yeah, I know. I wish that I could touch her. Hollywood Chainsaw Hookers. It's a comedy that'll leave you in pieces. That is an obnoxious trailer. Spoils a whole bunch of shit in like the first minute and a half. And then the trailer has its own credit section. <laughs> that lasts about the last half of the trailer. It's uh, it- two and a half minutes long. It's a pretty obnoxious movie, though. It is an obnoxious film. It it does capture the voiceover a little bit in the trailer. So what did you think of it in the movie? I, I understood what they were trying to do with the homage, but uh, it's it's dated. Yeah, it, it really doesn't work for me. So I guess let's just address the, the elephant in the room now. Um, this movie has some like four star sleaze in it but the framing leaves a lot to be desired yeah i mean if you know fred olin ray you know what you're getting and you know what you're getting from the title i mean so not everything in this movie works but it doesn't have that lofty ambitions anyway so we start out with um we see michelle bauer right away and she's in a bar trying to pick up this guy and she insists she's not a hooker. She says she's a lady, but that she occasionally provides services to release tension in our city's workforce, that she's a, a social worker of sorts. Gunnar Hansen is watching in the background and she eventually takes him to the the motel motel. I actually really liked her line about framing her line of work as social like a social worker yeah the i thought that was a good that was a great way to put it it's it's not it's not proffered sincerely though like the movie it's tongue-in-cheek and it's it obviously doesn't really believe that no there's no yeah no there's no serious social commentary here no but her her apartment is um I don't know, it just looks like a like a bedroom. There's some cool shit on the walls, I guess. <laughs> I don't understand why uh she only covers one thing in plastic wrap. Yeah, when she's uh about to get into bed with this guy with her her client, she stops to start covering things in plastic and 
but the main thing she covers is a framed picture of I think it's Elvis yes, on the wall. The shrine to Elvis and it has candles. <laughs> yeah. And um she she had already put on some Elvis music uh because she uh professed her love for him um right away. But yeah, she also puts on a shower cap, which is really weird. Like if I was in this situation, if I was the guy, um I don't know how I would react. I wouldn't have found myself in this situation to begin with, so I, I can't I can't put myself in his shoes. Yeah, okay, that's fair. But I would definitely know something I, I think I would be on guard enough in that situation, like not even sure that I was safe from the get go, that I would be a lot more cautious about something like covering the furniture in plastic wrap. Consider that this guy is probably very drunk. They met at a bar and she gave him a drink at the apartment as well. Fair. So he might not have had a adequate perception needed to assess the situation. Well, she says she has a big surprise for him, but he has to keep his eyes closed and it's not a surprise for the audience. Um, but she takes a big chainsaw out of the dresser drawer and uh, proceeds to cut him up as Gunnar Hansen watches from the, the window. It's a great scene uh, with as far as the effects go. Very cheap, you know, just t- lots of fake watery blood and plastic limbs flying everywhere. <laughs> There's a part when, when she's going to town where a... Uh, severed hand like reaches up and and starts to grope her but it's you know out of frame you don't know it's separate severed until um she takes it like throws it behind her shoulder you know in the same way that i say you have to judge shot on video movies as like their own thing i think you have to judge movies like this as their own thing too and by movies like this i mean incredibly low budget but obviously doesn't care or take itself seriously. And in this category, I'd put like most trauma movies and um, David Dakota and other like early full moon releases. Um, it, it, they're just meant to be schlock. And so you you can't hold them to the, the normal standards. They are their own thing. I'm not so sure I agree with that. That feels like a cop-out in this case, right? Like, for shot on video, it's an entirely different medium. The means are very low budget in most cases. This film, they have to have some kind of a budget. And I feel like by just saying it has to be categorized differently, you're giving it an out, like an excuse to not live up to some full, to, to a potentially, like, some kind of full potential. I mean, I, I think that's fair, but... What I'm getting at is that there are some low-budget movies that presented with severed limbs that are obviously like plastic doll limbs, they would do as much as possible to disguise them, right? So they do like low lighting and put lots of latex and prosthetics around them and like coat everything in fake blood so it's hard to see. And have the camera out of focus, whatever. They try to hide the fakeness. This movie makes no effort to hide the fakeness because it doesn't care because that's not even its goal. Its goal is not to be realistic. Its goal is to be goofy. 
But you can try to portray your film in a slightly more serious way and still give the same amount of effort towards the special effects. I think the audience is willing to give you some leeway. Yeah, this is just an example of a case or this is a case where the director just didn't care because it's not meant to be taken seriously. But rather than like a lighthearted comedy, like that's kind of what this feels like with, you know, huge content warnings attached. I feel like this might have been like a better approach as um as like some kind of like a surreal absurdist thing. I would have really appreciated that kind of an angle. Oh, I would have liked that way more. I'm definitely not defending this movie. Like, I'm not really a fan of this movie. Um, but I can see what it's trying to do. I wish it had done something different. Regardless, I think uh, the talent involved, um, like on display, probably makes this worth watching if you are into the same kind of shit that that Luke and I watch on this on this program. Yeah, it's down and it's short. It's like I think it's barely over an hour and it's something you watch on like a Saturday afternoon. It's that sort of movie. Yeah, hour 14 minutes. Yeah. And that's with credits. So anyway, the next thing that happens is uh Jack Chandler, our main private eye uh protagonist tells us that pieces have been floating up in the sewers and and he's been hired to find a particular girl from Oxnard who ran away from home. When we meet him, he's going to the police because he thinks they they have a girl who matches the description, but it's not her. But it is a chainsaw hooker. When they bring her in, isn't she like all wrapped in chains? Yeah, they don't even have her in handcuffs. She's just wrapped up in, in chains and a padlock. That's how dangerous this hooker be. Yeah. But they don't uh he doesn't pay much attention to it after that. Like the movie doesn't. It moves on. I thought this character was going to have a more substantial role in the film because she's the first chainsaw hooker we see in yeah. the intro. And then uh I mean, the, the implication is that she actually murdered a police investigator like during that opening monologue. Yeah. And then we see her in this scene and then never again. For some reason, the police let Chandler tag along, uh, not only to the crime, to, to see the um, missing person, but also to go to the lab to inspect some evidence. Is this a normal thing? Like, would a private investigator be invited along like this? No. Um, pri private investigators typically have nothing to do with any sort of governmental, like, law enforcement agency, like, in any capacity. Like, yeah, you, you I, I would. Friends. You can exchange info. Um, actually, you know what? Sometimes private eyes are hired by police departments when uh, they need to, like, minimize their own presence somewhere like sometimes by internal affairs but not for something like this well and this he... scene is ridiculous <laughs> you have two guys <laughs> in science clothes who do not look like scientists and they have a brown paper bag <laughs> that they then use to dump out the evidence <laughs> Right onto the table, all mixed together. 
and then proceed to handle it with their bare hands, <laughs> which includes things like a, a, an assortment of bloody items like chapstick and whatever else, and then a bunch of severed fingers. <laughs> Yeah, there's some condoms in there. There's that's what yeah. <laughs> there's a matchbook which Chandler lifts because it has a phone number written inside, as well as the name Mercedes, which turns out to be Michelle Bauer's character. What'd you think of the scene where the hooker and I ordinarily wouldn't use the word hooker, but it's what they're called in the movie. It's the, the title, title. So it's the title. <laughs> yeah, so kinda have to. Um but there's another hooker who goes to this guy's house. He wants to take pictures of her for his business, uh, which is promoting or selling baseball bats. And he wants to make a nude calendar. What do you think of this scene? Well, why don't you tell us why he wanted a calendar to advertise his baseball bat product? I don't know. What are you going to tell? What, what are you referencing? Because he said that they're popular among the little leagues and church officials. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they end up taking a bunch of nude photos with the baseball bat. But you know what's coming. Eventually, she knocks him out with it and drags his body to the bathtub and proceeds to cut him up with a chainsaw. You'd think she'd wait till he wakes up. No. Why wait? It, this is all about efficiency. They just care about the the chainsaw needs blood. Is that really the uh, such a high priority? I figured suffering and like pain and misery would be part of this process. I don't know. Gunnar Hansen doesn't really come off as like sadistic. He's just uh the ch the chainsaw we it's been worshipped for centuries you know we're just doing what our ancestors did that's about the energy of his performance yeah wow well he's also waiting outside during this scene when she's uh cutting the guy up in the bathtub and meanwhile chandler is calling up the number from the ma from the matchbook uh which is mercedes and they meet at the bar he orders a bourbon with a bourbon chaser which I thought was really dumb. <laughs> that that that's an example. That's an example of the movie's humor that doesn't work for me. Oh, like eighty percent of this movie's humor falls flat. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I especially like these bar scenes where um the the director just tosses in so many reaction shots. Like there'll be like a one liner, and then you'll get three different character reaction shots. Yeah, he wants to he wants to make sure you know that that there's either Gunnar Hansen or a chainsaw hooker there. Like he wants to remind you of their presence. Well, and the bartender, like they give us an uncomfortable amount of time trying to like make this dude a guy. Like he's just the background character, but they really try to push Actually, you know, I just thought about this. Is he the cultist at the end of the film with the motor oil? He might be. I wasn't sure. Hmm. I just thought he was the bartender. But um, it, the, there are a lot of weird reaction shots where we just see his facial expressions. And it 
it makes it seem like he's going to become a bigger part of the movie, but he never does. No. Okay. I do think that's the same character though. Okay. It would make sense. He seems in on the whole thing. Okay. It's so this, maybe this he does bar, have a role. This whole bar is like a front for prostitutes to pick up marks to turn into uh, sacrifices. Is is that is that why they're killing people? Because they're they're sac they're sacrifices to the chainsaw, right? Yeah. So uh, apparently, the ancient Egyptian gods had chainsaws. <laughs> We're spoiling the movie. Uh, you're not watching this for the plot anyway. And so this cult in the ancient Egyptian style has to make blood sacrifices to the Egyptian pantheon using the holy tool of the chainsaw. So during the scene with Chandler and Michelle Bauer in the bar, he notices that Linnea Quigley is the, the girl dancing, um, the stripper at the moment, and she's the one that he's been hired to find. Is she supposed to be a teenager? I think that's the implication. So, one, if she is supposed to be a teenager, then that makes her blossoming relationship with Chandler really uncomfortable. Um, but two, I think Linnea Quigley was like 30 when this movie came out. She definitely doesn't look like a teenager. She looks great, but she's not a teenager. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think the implication is that she's supposed to be like an underage girl running away from home. And this really falls in line with the absolute trashy subject matter that's looking throughout <laughs> this entire film. It's very on brand because she, the story is that she ran away from home because of uh, stepdad issues. But then when they get, when they get to talking, it turns out she likes the stepdad <laughs> <laughs> and is sad to find that her mother kicked him out. <laughs> I did find that um I don't know. I I understand the humor, but it all I, I want to make sure I'm not like dehumanizing actual abuse victims. Oh no, this this film is dehumanizing actual abuse victims. <laughs> this is not a classy film. No, by no means. And that's okay. Like, you know, it's it's okay to watch things that have no class. We certainly do all the time on a weekly basis but um it's that weird comedy framing that just doesn't that doesn't fit i really wish they took they did a different angle with this with this story the i wish this film was filmed like maniac um or another like of the grimy new york films um this is i know this is los angeles but um you could make this gritty and urban and disturbing. And I mean, it would still be ridiculous, but you could make it a genuinely discomforting film. Yeah. And still leave in the chainsaws and the Egyptian cult. Yeah. But anyway, he, he never gets the chance to rescue Linnea Quigley because Michelle Bauer drugs his drink um, and he passes out. Did you see that coming from like a mile away? Yes. Yeah. I, I'm I'm shocked that he, as this 
world weary private investigator did not see it coming i mean we already know that this woman like you know chainsaw murdered her last john and and just like you know 20 minutes prior to this but uh even then I, i would not have trusted any drink from her no even if this was just a a normal um sex worker that i picked up in the bar i don't think i would accept drinks from her no offense sex workers that are also listeners no it it it, it's not because of the sex worker it's because they're a stranger they're they're someone that i only know on a professional basis um I just wouldn't accept a drink from somebody like that. And I advise you not to either. But anyway, she wait, he wakes up in this girl's apartment and she says that she found him in a ditch and brought him home, which I don't understand why they bother with the ruse because he's tied down to the bed and Michelle Bauer and Linnea Quigley show up in like a minute. They wanted to hear from his own, in his own words, what he was doing, why he sought Mercedes out. What was the point of him, his investigation? And as we know from uh, recent world events, we, we know that torture in and of itself is not an effective means of getting information from uh, potential informants. So they lured, lured they, they, um, lulled him into a false sense of security, got him to just admit what he was there for, and then came out and said, ha, ah, gotcha. And then they proceed to take their clothes off and take his clothes off. Yes, as as mandated by the, you know, Egyptian religion. <laughs> you want as little between you and the chainsaw as possible, Leland. You don't want the chain to get snarled on anything. No, but it's it's the closeness that matters. Like, have you ever had to clean a chainsaw chain? Yeah, yeah. No, nah, you, you think about it. Think of the the rate of people they are chainsawing. Right? Like, we don't see everybody that's getting sacrificed on camera. This is like a thing that's been going on for quite some time. They're finding parts in the sewer, whatever. You know, you got to make sure you keep your chainsaws up and running for as much time as possible. How many people do you think a chainsaw can tear through before it needs to be like completely replaced or like maintenance issues, right? There's got to be like a mileage on these things. Yeah, I can't imagine it would make it through that many bodies. Like it's one thing to cut wood, right? Like it's designed to cut wood, but now you're cutting through flesh, you're cutting through organs, through bone. And that's introducing all sorts of liquid components to the process that can cause like rusting if you don't take care of your blade or your chain. Things that can get caught like clogged in the the fucking gears. Like imagine blood, coagulated blood in your chainsaw and you can't get it started because there's, you know, too much of the last sacrifice in it. I know that a good chainsaw cult ought to know these things, and I am maybe Gunnar Hansen's character does, but the girls don't really seem that interested in chainsaws. Yeah, I mean, they do keep them in very interesting places, <laughs> like dresser drawers and and suitcases. I don't know. I've just never seen a chainsaw in a suitcase. I don't think one would actually fit. Maybe not. Especially not the one she takes out. 
they're not disassembled at all. They just takes it whole, whole out of the suitcase. At one point, there's just one sitting on top of a dresser. Gunnar Hansen comes in around this point and kicks the girls out. And he says that the chainsaw is the cosmic link that unites everything. So this is a really ridiculous premise, but do you think there is a better way to present the chainsaw as like a holy relic, a holy tool? I really don't think so. Like I'm not I... trying to put you on the spot, but do you think there is maybe some kind of better metaphor for like the greater scheme of life? Like maybe like the cycle of life and death that revolves around like the chainsaw? I think you could come up with a lot of like pseudo mythological jargon like that but there's not anything that actually feels justified about it i don't think you can make a movie where the chainsaw really is the cosmic link that unites everything and have that be taken seriously oh that one sean connery movie did it with the gun is it really that much of a stretch to make it a chainsaw i don't know what movie that is zardoz Oh, Zardoz. Yeah. Yeah, but Zardoz, everything about Zardoz is like mythic and weird. It's, you're not in reality in Zardoz. <laughs> no, you're not. Which is how all, that's a John Borman film. He also made Excalibur, which I feel the same way about. But like you have this, this gas-powered tool that's on a cycle, right? You power it up and it's a cycle. It goes, you know, in one direction forever until it runs out of gas. It's just there's something there that you could have espoused some religious bullshit, like mythic bullshit, and had it seem not believable, but something that maybe a schizophrenic would jot down in a notebook between uh, you know therapy sessions or something. Yeah, I can see what you mean. That that might have worked better. But I was not really satisfied with the explanation of why chainsaws were suddenly married to the Egyptian pantheon. But I like the fact that it it is a thing. I just I think the window dressing could have been a little better. <laughs> there is a history in these movies of it being an Egyptian god or an Egyptian cult. Like there's Blood Feast, the Herschel Gordon Lewis movie. And Blood Diner, the Jackie Kong movie, this one, I don't know. It's like a tradition. And in case there were any doubts that this man was actually uh, like not a Egyptian Egyptologist, 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 Egyptologist. He has a like a necklace with a uh, like a King Tut coffin head at the base of it. Yeah, it's really ridiculous. That's how you know he's the real thing. Well, they're not very, they don't take very, they don't keep very good tabs on their chainsaws because this one runs out of gas before they have a chance to saw up uh, our main character. Yeah, you know, this is not the only chainsaw misfire in the movie. And you would think that for a cult that has dedicated their life to the chainsaw that this wouldn't happen. I mean, then again, you know, if it did work, the movie would be over and... um We'd be getting to final thoughts right now. No, they they have to go and get gas, which leaves him alone with Linnea. And that's when we find out that she didn't actually run away from home. She joined the cult undercover 
to try and get revenge for a friend who was killed. So she's actually on his side. So he convinces her to untie him. Mm -hmm. And he repays this by headbutting her unconscious. Apparently, I read on IMDb that he really headbutted her, but luckily it was the last scene of the day. Yeah, so um, I rewatched this scene twice because I wasn't quite sure how they faked it, and there's definitely contact between their heads. Yeah, no, uh, it it IMDb says it was uh, that he really had to do it, that they filmed it several times and um, just couldn't get it to look right. But she takes it like a trooper. Yeah. Like the actress, the actress herself um, convincingly looks somewhat knocked out Hollywood style. You know, I was kind of down on Linnea Quigley's acting a little bit ago, but I think she's a really good physical actress, like not just because she's attractive, but she knows how to do stunt work. She knows how to be funny when she needs to be like She's good at the physical side of things. I just don't see a lot of depth for her to her performances. Perhaps that's just because of the character she's casted as. That's fair. I mean, I do wonder if you gave her... I wonder this about a lot of B-movie actors. Like, if you gave them a starring role in a serious drama, how would they do? Like, would they win an Academy Award? Because they would. it would be this... Hollywood resurrection story. You know, there are directors like that and, and actors like that. And I just wonder, you know, Tarantino rescues people from obscurity sometimes. Like, I, I've only seen the, the this woman in like three movies. For all, I, for all we know, there is one movie out there where she actually gets to play like a spectrum of different emotions and she's not typecasted as a, you know, a st- what, a, like a one note stereotype. I mean, I've definitely seen her in different types of roles. Like in Return of the Living Dead, she's like a punk, which is she looks and acts very different from uh, the way she does in this movie. Um, but there, it never seems like she's playing a real person to me. It's the roles just aren't written like that, perhaps. Um, so I'm always conscious of like, oh, that's Linnea Quigley and she's always the same person uh, even if her accent or her mannerisms change i don't think that's specific to b actors though you can certainly see that in people or and actors who are in you know big budget shit yeah true like, like nicholas cage i can't see him as anything other than nicholas cage even though he does have a wide range of different things he can do yeah so she doesn't want to go go with him so he that's when he headbutts her and knocks her out um <laughs> It's so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> he takes her back to uh to his office and she, you know, on cue immediately wakes up and says, you know, oh yeah, it's okay. I guess you, you did what you had to do. <laughs> Not salty at all about getting fucking headbutted. No, she in fact she starts to undress and make out with him. <laughs> And she is um, the aggressor. He questions her age. <laughs> she says she's 21. <laughs> yeah, but I think she, I think everything else in the movie suggests she's a teenager. He would know her actual age because he's a private detective. Well, he presumably. only knows what the parents told him. 
feel like he would have something more to go off of than just you know a a, a cup a name and a in a description and a picture. I mean, one would hope, right? One, would one hope. but I don't know what kind of connections he has or what kind of access. Private detectives usually have some kind of access to to personal personal information databases. Hmm. So he should be able to, even in the 80s, he should have some sort of access to like her actual date of birth. I mean, I, I, this movie isn't, you know, like as we've said before, isn't reaching for realism, but yeah. Well, his his girlfriend walks in on them. Uh, that we have not mentioned at all. Well, and the, the movie doesn't make much of her either. Yeah. Just another topless woman in a scene. But uh, she leaves him right then and there, and he doesn't seem too shaken up about it. I guess he has Linnea Quigley now. I mean, the screenwriter keeps throwing women at this guy left and right, so I don't think he really has anything to worry about. He's also a terrible person. All all <laughs> these people are terrible. <laughs> true. That is true. Well, he, he and Linnea agree that they're going to go to the warehouse district where the ceremony is going to be held. And I don't really know what their plan is that whether they think they can like sneak in or they're going to go in guns blazing or what. Did we even mention there was going to be a ceremony? No, but the yeah, movie barely when, mentions when... it. When Gunnar Hansen has got this guy tied up on the bed, he's like, you were going to sacrifice you at this grand ceremony. And then he's like, ah, fuck it. Never mind. We'll just do it here. So <laughs> now that he's escaped, they're going to go find the grand ceremony in the warehouse district. And uh, Samantha, to her credit, is like, you know, maybe maybe we shouldn't do this. Maybe we shouldn't put ourselves in moral danger. Maybe we should wait for the police. And it's fucking Jack's idea to go in. And not like two minutes into the fucking warehouse do they get fucking busted and caught. Yeah, well, there's a big sign that says temple this way. And that's how they find where to go. So they make no secret. Like they don't try to sneak in an alternative way, right? They it's follow the just, signs just like anyone just, else. It's not just the temple this way sign. It's a large Egyptian cat statue holding <laughs> a temple sign. Yeah, the cats are ridiculous. The cat statues look really dumb. See, this is the shit I didn't want. I I didn't want to see in the film. This is the stuff I think they could have they could have maybe changed up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, they could have made it grungier. Less you know, when I when, when I think of chainsaws, I don't think of of ancient Egypt. I think of like bikers and garages and um, oil mechanics and. Like things like that. Oh, that movie writes itself because, you know, prostitution and bikers go hand in hand. Just throw in some fucking drugs and a biker gang that uses like this an eye of Osiris or some shit on the back of its jacket. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been fucking way better. But no, they're they're caught and they're handcuffed and they inject Linnea with something. Yeah, it's a syringe full of mystery white fluid and um it's described as uh, blood of the ancestors well at one point they do sort of a communion where they pass around blood to drink and they call that the blood of anubis but it looks like oil to me i think it's supposed to be oil 
the ceremony itself is pretty lame. Um, you have this weird, this weird looking dude come out in a robe, and I think it's the bartender in retrospect. And uh, he has like a tray of of motor oil cans that he then stabs with the the specific like a can opening funnel that those cans use. I, I don't even know if people use those anymore. Is that still a thing? Is it? I don't think so. I think all I, motor oil is now in plastic. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But Man. it might have been in 19, 1988. Mm-hmm. But he just like starts opening cans and pouring them off camera. Like like he's pouring a 40 out on the street or something. But we don't see what it's getting poured on. Feels like a feels like a lost opportunity. Yeah, I think they could have done a lot more with this ceremony to make it cool. Yeah, I mean, like he hams it up for the audience and it doesn't really work. About, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the scene is overlaid with uh, very generic, probably no copyright open source crowd cheering noise. That does not sound like it fits at all for the amount of people in the room. Well, none of it matters because what you're really supposed to care about is seeing Linnea Quigley naked, and that's what you get next because Gunner introduces the virgin dance of the double chainsaws, and Linnea Quigley comes out with just like some body paint on with two chainsaws and does a, a dance. I like the body paint. It's pretty cool. Yeah, apparently it took... uh like a really long time to do imdb says it took three people including don wildsmith fred olin ray's wife um over seven hours to paint her body for that scene i would not have guessed that but it, it does look really good yeah it does um her so chainsaw dance on the other hand <laughs> you weren't a fan she just sort of holds them at her sides and spins around and the big problem is that the chainsaws aren't even on. Like you can clearly see them and the blades aren't moving, but they're they're making the noise. Well, it, don't get me wrong, Linnea Quigley looks like she's got some biceps, like she looks like she's in shape, but she's a little she's a small person holding heavy chainsaws. I can't imagine there's too much dancing she could have done. I don't think they're real chainsaws. You don't think they're real chainsaws? No, not in this one scene. Well, it does whether they are in real life or not, they're supposed to be in the movie, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I, well, I I'm can't... not saying she should be like a sword belly dancer with them or anything, but the, the look, I'm just saying, like if I was an Egyptian god and this was the ceremony they were throwing, I'd be a little disappointed. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, I was a little disappointed as a as a viewer. But after the dance, Linnea is supposed to use the chainsaw to kill Chandler, but she kills Gunnar Hansen instead. The power of love breaks the spell. Mm-hmm. Who knew this was going to happen? Like everybody. This, this uh, is that like plot cliche that you just see like coming from a mile away. Of course. Good character under mind control breaks it with the power of love and friendship. Of course. You knew it was coming. There should have been no doubt. And and Gunner gets chainsawed to death and he has just about as much energy as he does in the rest of the scenes. And uh, then we are treated to a chainsaw fight <laughs> between Linnea and 
Mercedes. I'm using Linnea's real name, and then I keep forgetting. <laughs> I just say Mercedes. Mercedes is played by Michelle Bauer. I'm not going to remember that name. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mercedes. Well, the two have a chainsaw duel. What did you think of it? Um, it's not the first chainsaw duel I've seen. Um, it's also not how two chainsaws would actually react if you were to slam them together. Again, okay, for safety reasons, you don't want to actually slam two chainsaws together in a room full of you know scantily clad women. But uh, it, it, you know, if two things with spinning blades touch each other, there there's going to be a, a really violent reaction. And instead, it's more like two swords keep tapping because they're not actually on, <laughs> or probably real chainsaws. Yeah, there's a. Uh... There's a notice at the beginning of the film, and I'm just going to read it. It says, the chainsaws, all caps, used in this motion picture are real and dangerous. They are handled here by seasoned professionals. The makers of this motion picture advise strongly against anyone attempting to perform these stunts at home, especially if you are naked and about to engage in strenuous sex, all caps. My consciousness is clear. Signed, Fred Olin Ray. We haven't seen a lot of discretionary messages in front of the films we review here, but that's probably the best one. I really like the one at the beginning. I think it's at the beginning of Blood Diner that talks about like the prevalence of satanic cults. That one's good, but we haven't covered Blood Diner. I know, but... When I think about voiceovers in the beginning, and ironically, the other voiceover I always think of or warning in the beginning is the being, I I think does such a good one. So, but that's different. That's not a, I don't even know why I'm bringing it up. Well, I mean, if we're going to top three it, I don't know what number three would be, but number two would be um, that really British one. <laughs> oh, uh <laughs> twisted nerve yeah for twisted nerve because it was taking itself so seriously yeah that was the one that said there was no documented link between mongolism and homicidal yeah, behavior homicidal tendencies yeah <laughs> um, so i don't know what my third one would be but those are my top two yeah no that's fair well of course linnea wins this chainsaw fight uh-huh lunges and... it right into mercedes chest we get a full you know gore special effects look of a fake torso getting impaled with the chainsaw blade and uh, she goes down but then when the police show up their bodies have disappeared Ooh, yeah what do you think happened well clearly the cult was real and you know it wasn't a bunch of like delusional bullshit I think your gods are are actually out there and watching. I think your um your soul should be absorbed by the chainsaw that kills you, and so you go on living life like trapped inside this tool of death. I think that's great, but but why doesn't that happen to any of the people who are being dismembered and tossed into sewers? Like, why aren't their bodies disappearing like dead Jedi's? Yeah. That's that's true. Although up until now, there's really been no like, yeah, this private investigator is pursuing everyone, but the police don't seem to know anything about any of this. 
they, they say a little they, bit. They say something at the end about how they thought they were just smuggling or something. Smuggling what? <laughs> I don't remember this line. I don't uh I don't remember it either. Do you want me to play it? Sure. Boys had their eye on this bunch for a long time now. We thought they were just smuggling illegal artifacts. Illegal artifacts. Right. Well, I guess that make that's the explanation for all the cliche hieroglyphic walls and cat statues everywhere. Which don't look legitimate, by the way. No, Wherever no. they're importing them from, it's not Egypt. Oh, <laughs> I don't think the 80s were like a a prolific time for artifact smuggling. No, I don't think so. I think a lot of that Egypt stuff had been snatched up already. Probably like through the 20s and 40s. And then um, again, probably in the early mid 2000s. Mm. Yeah, I know nothing about it, but... Uh... Well, I mean, that's I'm, I'm talking about like how, um, you know, ISIS and other extremist Muslim groups were funding some of their uh, activities by selling artifacts on the black market. All right. I hadn't thought about that. That makes sense. But like, I think there is a, there's a gap there in, in artifact smuggling. So these guys were trying to hustle in like the dark ages of, of artifact smuggling really puts their dire situation in perspective. Well, that that's the end of the movie. There's not, not much of one. Well, Linnea becomes Jack's secretary and um Yeah. Yeah, I don't he know says if that's a good ending or not. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Sucks. She didn't get back with her stepdad. <laughs> yeah, that's too bad. I wonder if the mother did. Like did like would she go back to him? She had some sort of like familiarity with the relationship. Yeah. Who knows? The movie doesn't tell us. Oh yeah, and we were denied the sequel that we all we all deserved. Doesn't it promise one at the end? Yeah, I think it's I think it's a joke. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but it it says that there's a new one coming soon. Yeah, it's um, it's like Chainsaw Nursing School or some shit. Hang on, I can tell you. Ch- student Chainsaw Nurses, subtitled "Bad to the Bone." Mm, yeah. Hmm. No. All right. You want to give final thoughts and rate this out of four? If you're into absolute sleaze trash, this is definitely worth the watch. But overall, I think this movie is really held back by its commitment to this weird noir comedy routine. Um, I'm sure you could do a hard-boiled detective bit on this and have it work. But you'd have had to modernize it to some like trashy 80s shit instead of relying on a an archetype that was well out of uh out of vogue at this point when this movie dropped. There I again I appreciate the trashiness of this film. I wish the framing was a little different. Uh maybe Gunner should have had some caffeine before he hopped in front of the camera. Maybe they could have put him in a mask or something. Maybe that's what he needs. Like, he can't act unless he has something to hide behind. I mean, I've seen him in movies like In Mosquito. I wouldn't say his performance is good, but he's at least energetic. This is one of his worst performances that I've seen. Like, I hesitate to call this a performance. It's like someone just showed up 
and read their lines and probably went straight to the to, to the catering table. I, I don't know. I don't know what he did here. I do. I guess, you know what? It could have been worse. They could have had him in like Egyptian face, right? Oh, God. <laughs> I'm thinking about it could have been worse. They could have given him like the little eyeshadow shit. <laughs> no, that's awful. Oh, maybe they should have done that for the ceremony, like really doll him up. Hmm. No, I don't know. This is one of those times where I see like a lot of missed potential. Uh, maybe it's because the budget couldn't have been there. I do appreciate the performances in this film, even if the writing isn't up to par. I, I'm I'm actually a fan of an ancient Egyptian cult using a modern age <laughs> like tool as some sort of like re- re- religious instrument for like sacrifice and I don't know religious fulfillment. I think that's really cool. The, the the universe around it could have just been better or the mythology around it could have been better composed. This film just needed a better writer or we need more time in the oven to cook. There's a lot, there's so much potential here. I just don't think was, was realized, but this movie does have titties, has sleaze, comedy that misses. It's kind of a hard one to rate for me because I, I like the energy that was put into it. Just not the way it was crafted. I'm I'm gonna go with one and a half stars, and I feel bad about it. Why do you feel bad? I don't know. I just maybe I'm getting soft. I'm getting soft because I feel like there's there's a lot of effort put into this film from the people involved, and it and it feels kind of garbage to dump on people who are like putting their all out there. I mean, I also think Fred. Ol- this is true. Fred Olin Ray and also Linnea Quigley and Michelle Bauer, like. As far as I'm familiar with their careers, they're not taking themselves seriously and they don't mean any ill will like they're they're not mean spirited whatsoever. And so it's hard to hate the movie. Right. Even if it's technically bad, it's like it's still it's not mean spirited. I don't know. Does that make sense? Objectification is not mean spirited. I don't mean that the film is like ethically good i just mean that it's not true they are not intending to offend i don't think Mm -hmm. i think they're intending like everyone wants to see some gore and some naked women so let's give them what they want i don't know i feel like i feel like the whole um multiple underage relationships and stepfather abuse are meant to be pretty offensive like they're meant to get a reaction out of the audience the film is obviously not condoning these things. It's just mm-hmm. trying to it's just trying to strike that nerve. All right, I get that. I pretty much agree with everything Leland said. I, I'm not really a fan of this movie. I it's kind of fun and I like the actors involved and enjoy watching them do their thing. Uh, but there's not much of a movie here, right? There's not very much of a story. And what story there is, there's no justification to it. There's no background information or character building or anything like that. Um, I don't really like the film noir frame. Uh, I I just think it's it's cheesy. And I like film noir films. I like like Sam Spade and Mickey Spillane and those sorts of. Um, 
voiceover narrations. Like I genuinely like that stuff. I just don't think this is a very successful spoof of it, if that's what they're going for. And I think it is. The cult aspect here, like it fits this, um, our theme perfectly, right? But it doesn't make much sense. Uh, there's not, I don't really see the connection between Egyptian mythology, uh, chainsaws, and whatever Gutter Hansen's religion that he's propagating is. Um, it it doesn't really work together, uh, but it but it's still fun. So, yeah, one and a half. I think that's fair. All right. So next week, I want to focus on the biggest cult of all, evangelical Christianity, and watch Evil Come, Evil Go. So this movie was made in 1972 by Walt Davis. It's about a religious fanatic, like an evangelical Christian, who engages with men as a prostitute so she can murder them for having sex. So it's another really sleazy one. And if you think that that's a far-fetched concept, um, that really isn't because I, I am familiar with a, a real-life case that involved uh, a, a preacher, a priest, who basically did that with prostitutes. He would hire them to kill them? Yes. Like, he, he would, they would have sex, and then he would kill them because they're sinners. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, that's essentially what this, what this lady's doing. Wow, um, so this is a documentary. Oh, it's, uh, it's something. If you haven't seen it, check it out. I'm pretty sure you have to get it on DVD. Like, I don't think it's on streaming or anything. Um, it's got pornographic scenes in it, so. Yeah, it's... Wait, is this going to be like... Um... Like a, a fucking softcore porn with a story. Is this one of those? It's uh, it, I'm th pretty sure it's hardcore. Wow. All right. Yeah. You're, you're not going to find this on streaming. Good luck. Yeah. But it is on DVD. So check it out. Evil Come, Evil Go. It's got a banging theme song. And uh, join us next week. Until then, you can follow us on Instagram at video.store.nightmares. Leland, do you have any last words? Thank you for your continued support. All right. We'll talk with you all next week about evil come, evil go. Thank you.